0: Welcome to the Blazer's Edge Podcast. I'm Tara and this is Joe. Hey everyone! We are the Fanalists, and we are here to open our hearts and spill our guts and talk about everything we love about the Portland Trailblazers and the NBA. How are you doing today,
1: Joe? Oh, you know just plodding along. I've actually been very, very, very busy, which is not a surprise to anyone that listens to this podcast regularly. And uh, most of that is because I'm actually going to be taking a break for a while from not just the Blazers Ed podcast and Tara. This is not a I'm running away from you guys, uh, but from life in general. And I am jetting off to Thailand for a few months. So it's time to enjoy the warm weather and lay on a beach. And the, really the main purpose is to simplify and to relax and kind of get away from how busy I always seem to be and get back to the old Joe. Uh, admit <laughs> so. it. It was the
0: snow that got to you. You couldn't handle it.
1: It's not the snow. It, it does have a lot to do with the current political climate of the United States of America because it affects me to a degree that I, I just don't think it should. And it makes me very sad that that's pretty much the first thing I think about when I wake up in the morning and that I can't seem to have a conversation without wanting to bring it up. And I just don't think that that's the type of person that I need to be. And so I'm just peaceing out like Well before you jet off to places unknown,
0: I'm glad I get to talk to you one more time about our Portland Trailblazers and how they are doing. But before we get into it, let me just remind everybody that you can find us. On Stitcher or iTunes or you can hop on over to Blazer's Edge and find all kinds of great content that the writers on there put out about the team and all the things that are happening today is January 15th everyone's on trade watch because a whole new crop of uh, of players have become available for trade as the January 15th deadline comes up and I have not heard anything yet. Today is Sunday the 15th. I haven't heard anything yet, but I'm sure that it will be covered very well on Blazer's Edge if something does
1: come up. Oh, I'm sure, yes. And you know what the most exciting thing about the next couple of months is? That it's not that you're going to be standing alone and carrying the finalist's version on your own, but you're going to get a lot of help from Ashley. And I think the listeners have really enjoyed having Ashley around, so she's going to bring a lot of great insight and kind of take my place while I'm gone, so that'll be great. That is true. I'm looking forward to uh, having uh, branching
0: out a little bit, hearing some other points of view as well. It's always a chance for me to learn more, and I hope the listeners also will enjoy learning more as we talk to uh, other people around town and around the community. But let's get into our Blazers. So here we are at the beginning of 2017.
1: How do you think the Blazers have started off this year so far, Joe? I have gone back and forth on this. I've had some good times and some bad times watching the Blazers in the new year. But I think overall that... We don't really need to be that discouraged. I think this season has kind of surprised people. I think it's been a roller coaster. It's been back and forth. And I think that what we need to do right now is focus on some really good things. So number one, we've started since the new year with a record of four and three. So, you know, we're above 500. (laughs) We're doing okay. And we've beat some notable teams, so it's, it's all right. We've, we're not totally drowning in this new year. And there are a couple of other highlights that I wanted to bring up. One of them is we saw Alan Crabb go completely insane. And he had a career-high 30-point game and really, really changed the tempo and the pace and just contributed and, and became a factor in a way that I don't think that we've seen him In a while. And since then, he's been performing at a higher level, in my opinion. Would you agree or...
0: Yeah, I'm really excited to see Alan Crabb coming into his own. I think that um, there's al- there's always been a lot of hope for Alan Crabb in this community, as we can see by all of the various Alan Crabb fan clubs that <laughs> have been popping up everywhere. He has a lot of supporters in the community, and it also is clear that the Blazers have a lot of faith in him by the amount of, um, you know, the large contract that they met. So all those things are in place, but boy, it sure is nice to see him put up the numbers to go along with all the expectations that we've been holding up for him. Um, you know, when you think about it, he, you know, his first couple of years, he was very, very quiet. And so to see him step out and pour in 30 was just like, oh, made me so good, made me so proud of him and made me really look forward to the future. His... um His catch and shoot is just a thing of beauty these days. It's like, you know, watching Clay Thompson (laughs) when he just catches it and boom, it's up. And it just goes in and it goes swish. He's still having a little problem with consistency. You know, he's getting 30 and then he's turning around and getting you know getting 9 or whatever but you know I story lo- of the Blazers. yes i'd love to see him <laughs> settle somewhere like around 20 but i think we will he, he'll work up to that but it, also i think it's always kind of been how alan Crabb has been he's always been somewhat streaky he's always been hard to kind of read like which direction is he going even when he was in college he would um he was a streaky scorer so i think there's always, there's always going to be some element to that but watching his big games get bigger i think has been very rewarding
1: yeah, and he performed really well against the Cavs, which that's that's a big game to have a big game in. You know what I mean? So there's a lot of pressure around a team like that and playing a team of that caliber. And, and sometimes it gets to players, and he really he stepped up. So I, I like what he's been doing. And I, so I would say that Alan Crabb and a couple of these games where he's really showed up have been one of the highlights of this new year. Another highlight that I wanted to bring up was that we've, we've actually had some great games. You know, the last win over the Lakers was entertaining. That was just fun, entertaining basketball. And in the loss to Detroit, I couldn't even be mad. I, mean, uh-huh. I, was, I was mad about one thing, and that was I really wish that Evan Turner had stepped in because he was guarding the inbounds pass. And uh, that last shot that Detroit took that ended up winning the game for them, I really wish that he had stepped in from the sideline and double teamed on that shot. And maybe the outcome would have been a little different. But in general, that was like grit your teeth and fight and do whatever it takes to try and scrape out of that game. And it was highly entertaining. It was great basketball. I really enjoyed watching it. So I think that we should take heart with some of these games that have been fun to watch, where we've seen the Blazers fight, where we've seen them come out on top and and really celebrate. And that leads me into my last point, my last highlight of the new year, which is the fact that we decisively beat the Cleveland Cavaliers. There was not a single point in that game where the Blazers lacked composure or control they dominated from beginning to end and you go back and you look at the box score of it and we took more shots we had more rebounds we kept our turnovers to a minimum and we caused quite a few for the the Cavaliers or pushed the Cavaliers to have quite a few turnovers I think they ended the night with 15 Uh, we more than doubled their number of assists which is a stat that I'm really proud of I think it's Great to see them all contributing and playing team basketball. Uh, we had five players in double digits, for example. So a lot of people were pouring in and and uh, putting up those numbers and helping contribute to that win. And we absolutely crushed it in the paint. We had 46 points in the paint to their 24. So I just think it was it was amazing to see them be a team that is so tough to beat and that is truly. I mean, they obviously won the championship last year, and they're clearly contenders for the championship again this year. So it was really, really great to to watch that game. And while Evan Turner, because you know i got to bring him up, while he didn't necessarily score a whole bunch in that game, he had 11 assists and 8 rebounds, and I think that's phenomenal. And that goes back to the point that I had made in our last episode with Ashley, is that He seems to do what we need him to do in the moment. So if we need him to score, he scores. If we need him to assist, he does. If we need him to pull down some rebounds, he can do it. So I think he falls into the role of what he thinks is lacking for the evening. And and I just really appreciated seeing his stat line for that night, even though to the average or casual observer, it may not have seemed that impressive. Did you watch that game? The Cavs game? Yeah. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. But
0: I want to go back up and talk about the Detroit game because I oh. went to that game in the uh you know in the ice. I slip and sled my way to that game, mm-hmm. and it was so fun. I, I'm like you. I'm like not even mad. I mean, I would have been even better had we come out ahead, but it was. You know, to me, basketball is entertainment, and I was entertained. I got my money's worth for that mm-hmm. game. I, oh, I anyone
1: at that game got their money.
0: <laughs> I saw a team who brought it, who gave it, you know, gave it what they needed to give it. I think the reason we lost that game was super simple: free throws. If we'd made one of our free throws, we would have won it at regulation. I mean, and we shot way under what we usually. Shoot, so I thought that was disappointing. If we just made one. (laughs) Made one
1: more, you mean?
0: Yes, if we just made one more, (laughs) we could have just finished that game. But we got bonus basketball, and that was fun. And, you know, Detroit is a team that I think right now we have the same record as they do. We're 18-24, and and they are 18-24. and So we have the same record as Detroit right now. My question for you is how can we play so well against teams like the Cavaliers, which you were just talking about, that has a much better record than us. And then we play against teams like Detroit or Orlando that have as good as or worse records than us. And how do we
1: lose those games? Well, I actually just had this conversation, not about the Blazers, but about the hockey team yesterday because I think that some teams fall into the um, trap of they play at the level of the teams that they're playing against, and I don't think the Blazers do this all the time. But they get hyped and they bring it. They're like, this, these are the Cleveland Cavaliers. This is one of the best teams in the NBA. The reigning champs. We have got to bring it. We have got to step up. Or then come in the Detroit Pistons, which have a similar record and are kind of up and down like we are. And maybe they get a little lackadaisical and they think they don't have to work as hard because they're a little cocky. And they're like, we can beat this team, no big deal. Uh, so maybe that's part of it. I also think Detroit plays defense very well. So, you know, maybe, maybe that's a factor <laughs> with, with us. Uh, so we've just got to step up in that department as always like broken record story of our lives. So there are probably a lot of different factors that go into it, but I noticed it like with the hockey team this weekend. So it's funny that you bring it up because the hockey team played like the best team in the league and took them into double overtime, just like the Blazers did, um, against Detroit, not against the Cavaliers. But, uh, I think it's because they stepped up and they felt like, okay, we've got to try and and really uh, put our best foot forward with this team. So maybe it's a mental thing. What do you think? Well, I
0: think think part of it is – I think you're – I agree with you on part of it in the, you know, we get ourselves excited to play a team that we know is better – or the Trailblazers get excited to play a team that they know has a better record and is – You know, going to really test us and give us a chance to, you know, bring everything we've got to it. I think another thing that happens is the other team that we're playing against sees us and they think this is a game that we can win, and so they really, really focus in on beating us. Like when we met up against Orlando, they were on a four-game losing streak, and you know that they were looking at us, going, "The Blazers are a team we can beat." So they brought everything because a a win meant so much to them that night they felt like they really had to have it and i'm not saying that people like that both teams don't go in every night ready to win the game but i think we somewhat had a you know the blazers somewhat had a target on their back because orlando knew this was a chance where they could lose end their losing streak and sometimes I think when you're fighting that hard to get out of a hole you've got um, a little bit of a, you know a little something extra I have no explanation for how we got down 18 to 1 and then how we overcame that and then how <laughs> they still had not ended up not closing out on that game that was really and I'm a little more upset about that loss than I am about the one against Detroit
1: well, the other thing to think about is I think sometimes because we are a little lackadaisical, like the point that I brought up before, um, we find ourselves in a bit of a hole. And then we get back to our true selves, like the fighters, the underdogs, that yeah. we can pull this off, the chips on our shoulder, like you counted us out, watch us prove you wrong sort of mentality. But it's too late. Like it's, it's too late for that like last surge and we can't quite get fully out of it so maybe that's what happens to us sometimes um we just turn on the turn it on a little bit too late and then for, for example with the Pistons you have to think about the fact that they have players like Andre Drummond and Reggie Jackson and there's really there's hardly any team in the league has an answer for Andre Drummond he's just out of this world so you know, if if they've got a player that we can't match up against, then they clearly have an advantage over us. So I, it's a situational thing. It's you could probably name one of a number of different factors of what comes into it, but you know, it happens. <laughs> so do you think that we should be? So it sounds like you're you're
0: thinking that we should go ahead and feel optimistic about the team right now
1: so yeah i think we should feel optimistic and i think no matter what happens with this season that like we always do as true rip city fans we can find the silver lining we can find the bright spots and we're not going to give up on our team and you know you're the one who found out hey we're at the exact same situation right now as we were last year right
0: right exactly we looked at the i looked at the results for last season and last season on January 15th we were at 18 and 24 which is exactly where we stand today. Now some people would say that they expected that we would be farther along than that at this point and I think that's where people are starting to get frustrated is they thought with the continuity of our roster with the experience that people have had to play together I think people were thinking that we would be not in exactly the same place that we would be farther along.
1: Oh yeah. And people thought Festus would be playing by now. And you know, there's always a, you can't, you can't ever factor in everything, right? Like last year we got to the second round of the playoffs, but you couldn't have factored in that the Clippers would be suffering from so many injuries. Right. So it's, you, you don't ever, it's unpredictable. You don't ever know really what's going to happen. We couldn't have foreseen, well, I guess we could have foreseen, but we were really hoping that we wouldn't be in this situation with Festus, for example. So there are a lot of, a lot of things that came into play that I think are disappointing people, but I'm going to stick to that optimism. I'm going to stick to, we're going to be fine because look where we were last year and we dug our way out of it. We are Rip City. We will find a way out of this. So that's my mentality, I guess.
0: So I don't want to go into this too long because I think everybody has talked about it a whole bunch, but I just want to know what's your elevator speech for people who come up to you and start talking about the Blazers and say, we need to either trade CJ or Dame. What's your response?
1: My immediate response is I'd give up CJ, (laughs) which is tough when he does like what he did against Cleveland. You know, and he's dropping 27 points and contributing to such a a decisive win, which is how I described it earlier. So, you know, you don't want to say that, but I I don't really disagree. I say, yes, I would like to either trade CJ or put him as part of a a package to get somebody that we can really trust as a big man, a big contributor, somebody who can match up against the Andre Drummonds of the league, for example, and I don't really know what's going on with Festus. What's the buzzing about that? Have you been paying attention to that? Well, there was um, there were some tweets that went out after the game
0: against Orlando, which said that it looked like he was saying goodbye to people. But there was it wasn't clear whether or not it was just like a temporary goodbye because the team is going on a road trip and he is apparently not going with them. I think, you know, as Twitter and the... Because Twitter and the internet are what they are, it maybe got stretched up into more of a big deal. So I really have no idea. It sounds to me like after the game, they were shaking hands and hugging, and, you know, the team was setting out for a road trip. Who knows what that means? You know, I think because it's January 15th and suddenly people are all available, I think everyone's got a lot of heightened sensitivity to what it possibly could mean. But I don't think... Anybody has said, "Oh, that means Festus is gone," and nobody has said that for sure means Festus is here forever. I don't. I don't think it means anything. I think it's just we're trying people trying to figure out, looking at all of the different signs, trying to figure out what they could possibly mean. When all all we can really do is sit back and watch and wait for you know wait for the real news to not real news, but wait for the um, confirmed news from the sources to come out because we still have you know. We still have, we still need to wade through. Okay, is this, you know, actual league sources who have um, knowledge of talks that are going on, or is this just somebody who said, "Hey, the Trailblazers could use this, thus and so." So, you know, I think, and my personal thought is that, if something happens at the trade deadline for the Trailblazers, it's not going to be some big blockbuster. It's going to be some little thing like we do every year. Some small thing that that isn't going to change the long-term trajectory but may do something to uh, bolster us for the end of the year. But I, don't, I think the long-term goal is still the same. I think the long-term goal is these are the guys that you know, Olshay is going to ride with. And I think nothing big is going to be happening. And that's what I think. Nothing big will happen um, within the season.
1: Like you said, we're not really a blockbuster trade kind of team. <laughs> so, right. unless, unless it's CJ, then, then I would say that's pretty blockbuster.
0: <laughs> and, and we may be at some point down the road, but I don't think we've seen what we've got enough with our current group of people to make. I think any change right now is reactionary. In my opinion, like I said, I'm not a GM. I don't know how these things work. I tend to feel like we should be patient and and ride out this year and see how things go. Because I think like you've alluded to, you know, our fortunes are, I don't know that our fortunes are changing, but, but things seem to be falling into place more than they were at the beginning of the year. And, you know, making big changes right now is just going to set us back. I think we need to go with this core that we have right now and see where it goes. And if it means that for the whole rest of the year, we're stuck at 500 and we can't get past that, then maybe it's time to change it. But I don't think we're, I don't think we know that yet because I think last year at this time, when we were 18 and 24, we finished, you know, above 500, we had, you know, a good record
1: for the second half of the year and we just don't know what's
0: going to happen yet. I
1: think we all need to just put on some rose colored glasses right now and (laughs) be a little optimistic and, and just look for the good, and like you said, ride out this year, and see what happens, and see what Olshay does in the off season, and just see how we can finish, see how we can get through the second half, and, and see what happens, because like I said, we don't know all the factors, we don't know all that's going to happen, we could just surge forward, and have the greatest second half of all time, so just just got to be optimistic, and I'm normally the more logical of us too, right, but Um, this is all part of my attempt to like be Zen. And so I'm trying to just look at it from the only viewpoint I have right now, which is a little bit more of a a general overview and a vague hope that, that things are going to work out for us because they worked out for us last year better than anyone expected. So maybe that'll happen for us again.
0: Well, what I see is a general improvement in defense. I don't, I, I think with the new scheme that, Where we're doing, you know, we're double teaming the 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 pick and roll, and we're relying on our bigs to be to go ahead and use that athleticism that they have. I think these things are starting to fall into place. I've been watching a lot of. videos explaining some of the defensive schemes that the Blazers are using. Dane Carbaugh did a really nice one that explained some of the things that they've been doing with this new system. And then the guys on uh, court side, actually Michael Holton and um, Jordan Kent talked about the new schemes uh, defensively that the Blazers have been using. And one of the things they said is it lets the big guys be fast and mobile, which is what they are naturally wanting to be. This, you know, the previous defensive scheme was built around Robin Lopez and LaMarcus Aldridge, who are not as mobile as, you know, let's say, um, Ed Davis and Myers and even Mason. So I think we've had to adjust to a new look for our, uh, for our bigs and what they're doing, and I think it's starting to pay off in in uh, in defense, but one of the things that really confuses me, and I'd love to know what you have to say about this, is we're still at the point where we don't know if we're going to see, I don't know if we're going to see Myers Leonard or Ed Davis during a game. And I keep asking people, what's going, you know, and and it's pretty clear that it's a situational Decision whether or not this is the night we should use Myers, or whether or not this is a night that we should use Ed Davis But what I can't figure out is what are some of the different scenarios under which you would choose one of those guys to play rather than the other? Do you have any thoughts on that because
1: I would love to know <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think it's pretty, I think it's a pretty general answer, right? Like it it could depend on any number of things, which seems to be the theme of our podcast. Right, such as? (laughs) Such as like, who are we matched up against? And how did Myers play against them versus Ed Davis? Or how did they do in practice all week? Or how is Myers' shoulder affecting him? Or how hard has Ed Davis worked? I, you know, I think it's just it could be any number of things. It could be more how not necessarily an individual matchup, like how did Ed do against so-and-so. It could very well be how do we as a team do against so-and-so as a team and what do we need to do to adjust. And maybe we used Ed last time, so this time we need to use Myers because we need to see if he can handle it a little bit better. So I think you can't really predict – what situation it is unless you're behind the scenes and you see. I personally, I kind of want to see Ed and Myers more on the floor together because I think that that was originally the thought last year, or maybe it was the beginning. Maybe it was in this off season, But I heard a lot of people kind of buzzing about it and how they could work together, and what sort of defensive impact that they could have. And if you think about that, how intimidating is it if you run up against a wall that is Ed Davis and Myers Leonard double teaming you in the paint? Like, you got nowhere to go on that, <laughs> and uh, or you know it very well could be that Myers is helping a guard, uh, helping on defense, and so now this the shooter the guard has or the shooter with the ball has this guard and Myers Leonard double teaming him, which is in itself pretty intimidating. But then you've also got Ed Davis protecting the paint. So that's not really much of an option either. So you're slicing down the amount of options that this shooter has, and you're forcing them to pass it out or take a difficult shot. So... I think it's it's interesting to think about seeing them more on the floor together. This year, they've played 116 minutes together over 19 games, which averages out to just about just over six minutes per game. So they do have a plus rating when they're together on the floor. It's not a it's not a significant or a really impressive one at all. But I would like to see more of it. I think if, as long as we're experimenting, do we use Ed, do we use Myers? Why not experience more with let's use Ed and Myers together just to see what happens, what happens with it? Uh, they both have good skill sets. You know, they can both move their feet. They can both be creative. They can both get out and, you know, challenge outside of the paint as well as down low. So it could, it could be something really powerful. What would you say,
0: in in your opinion, like just based on the eye test, what would you say are the the main differences in their game?
1: I think that there are a couple of differences in that uh, Myers Leonard obviously has more range. He can shoot from much further out than Ed. Ed has a very limited range, and I think that Myers is a bit of a better passer, but I think Ed defends the rim a little bit better, so... It's kind of a a toss-up of of who we're playing and which skill set we need more at the time. But also, doesn't that create the case for, hey, Myers has a little bit more range and can pass, so let's have him there on the floor at the same time that we've got Ed Davis, who has this really phenomenal shooting percentage within three to five feet. So, you know, it could work to have them out there together. I'm worried that Myers hasn't gotten back to his
0: previous shooting levels, and at some point, people are going to stop guarding him on the three. And I guess hopefully that would be when <laughs> that will be when he gets it back, is when once people have he'll, he's lulling them into a sense of complacency. But you know, two years ago he was a much better shooter from three, and that's when we started you know thinking that we were going to be using him to spread the floor, and so it was much more likely that you would see um, you know Myers running you know in and out you know to to spread the floor, whereas. As you would see Davis you know closer to the rim ready to get those offensive rebounds ready to get those putbacks.
1: so I admit wholeheartedly because I'm just a fan and not an analyst I'm definitely more of a watch each player individually kind of fan and that's a flaw of mine because I don't often pay attention to how well lineups are playing together so I'm sitting here spewing off stuff about like oh I'd like to see Ed and Myers on the floor together and I could be completely wrong. Like I'm, I'm just, again, this is my fan perspective and I think it could be interesting. So I need to be better about really being conscious and figuring out why a player is in a specific lineup and why we're using a specific player Together with the, the guys on his team instead of just the specific player himself. Does that make sense? Like how he fits into the lineup that he's on and why we're using him in that scenario instead of just like, oh, how's he doing this game? Mm-hmm. Because I think, you know, as a team, you come together and and it changes the dynamic depending on your lineup a lot of the times. So I'm going to be better about that. I'm going to make a commitment to to watch that a little bit more. And maybe if we do that together, we can figure out the conundrum of the Ed versus Myers thing because it could very well have a lot to do with who they're playing with instead of who they're playing against, which is what I was talking about before. So,
0: yeah, that sounds good. I'm uh, it's it's a very interesting puzzle, and I imagine it's something that Terry Stotts, you know, thinks about a lot. I mean, it's sometimes when you're when you lose somebody you know, to an injury it's easy to just insert somebody else in there. But when you've got two people who are both very good at what they do and you need to figure out which one to use, it's gotta you you know, you gotta have like a checklist in your head (laughs) that you go down. Like, what's the situation here? Who are we playing? You know, so I I don't think it'll be um, it'll be good to to watch for that and see if we can figure
1: it out by the end of the season. <laughs> yeah, this would be so much easier if Terry would just let us sit with him on the bench. I know, or like go out to drinks with us. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> let's move on. Yeah, let's go around
0: the NBA a little bit and talk about. You know, we've talked about how the Blazers are doing halfway through the season. Well, are, do you have any surprises for uh,
1: team? How other teams in the NBA are doing uh, halfway through the season? You know, I think there are several that we could bring up, but in the interest of not rambling, which is something I tend to do, I'm just going to stick to one. And I've mentioned it before, but the Clippers are proving me wrong. I think I was super like, bleh. they're not going to do it. They do this every year. Everybody says they have the potential, and they can never do it. And while i don't think that in this exact moment they're like top of the line title contenders i think they're doing better than i originally gave them credit for this year they're in the middle of a a nice winning streak they won six in a row they're sitting at 28 and 14 which is not a bad record and they're only three or four games behind the second and third seed There's uh, several games behind Golden State, but the second and third seed. So I still am not convinced that they're going to be like the ultimate title contender. But I think that they are proving me wrong. And I think that they're really putting on a show for us this year.
0: See, you are, like, totally opposite from me. I'm, like, totally mad at the Clippers, because I thought they were going to be better than they are this year.
1: (laughs) I thought they were going to... You started with high expectations, and (laughs) I had super low expectations, and here they are, like, riding in the middle and surprising us both for different reasons.
0: Exactly. I mean, I thought that they were going to give the team from the Bay Area a run for their money. I really did. And I just, I guess at some point... You know, the Clippers just, they just can't get over the injuries. They just can't get over some of these things that, you know, sometimes I always thought that it was just, you know, bad luck. But now I'm wondering how much of it is systemic that, you know, they're suffering the way that they do over and over again every single year. And I was sure that this was going to be the year where they were going to break out. And they're still good, but they're not as, their record isn't as good as San Antonio. How the heck does San Antonio keep doing it? I don't understand.
1: Because they have Marcus Holter. <laughs> <I'm> just kidding. <laughs> no, it's because of the bats. Did you see that D'Angelo Russell found it, the bats? No, it's not the bats, Tara. It's not the bats. They are We have not, Snapchat evidence Batman. now. They're not we have, Batman. We
0: have Snapchat you evidence, have Snapchat? right? Rus- <laughs> D'Angelo Russell caught like a dozen bats flying around in San Antonio in the arena. It's just
1: it's okay. there. It's I'm a true gonna, thing. I'm not going to allow you to go down this rabbit hole. Which <laughs> okay, is something I've said to you before, but it's just they're San Antonio. They're good. They got Popovich, so you know. Well, the, the other it's, team it's, that's surprising me, I want to know if they surprised you
0: is Houston. I was totally not worried about Houston this year. Like I remember, I listened to some podcast with Patrick Beverly. I'm like, I'm not even worried about Houston, and boy, I'm wrong about that one. They are having a really great yeah. year.
1: I would agree with that. I did not expect Houston to surge like this. It's pretty and James Harden is just I've I've never been a James Harden hater. We we've talked about this before, but he is he's putting on a show. He really is. In fact, literally as we're sitting here talking about Houston, I just two minutes ago it says got a notification on my phone that says James Harden posts his twelfth triple double of the season. In the Rockets one thirty seven one twelve route of the Nets, so you know there you go, James Harden carrying that team. I think it's you know it's a it's a
0: really good testament to someone being in the right situation, and they just removed a couple of roadblocks, and they allowed him to be who he is, like truly be who he is, and that's really paid off for the team. And with that, I'm gonna. Segue into our Player of the Week segment because I want to and talk we haven't about.
1: Done this in forever. I
0: know. Well, and I'm going to talk about Mason Plumley. And one of the things that I have really brought from my research about Mason Plumley is the, this Portland situation that he's in right now is one of the first time that he has actually ever been able to just be who he is, and I'm super excited that um, he's able to do that here, and we're watching it. And I think it's I think Mason Plumley has more potential, he could show us more. And I don't know if we're going to end up keeping him next year, what was the contract situation, but I think we're in a a moment right here where Mason is really coming into his own, and I think it's uh, really cool to watch.
1: All right, layer on me.
0: Mason Plumlee grew up in Warsaw, Indiana, and most people know that he has two brothers, his older brother Miles and his younger brother Marshall both play in the NBA as well. He grew up in Warsaw, which is a very small town in northern Indiana. Only about thirteen thousand five hundred people live there. Mason's parents were college basketball players. His dad, whose name was Perky, Perky Plumley. Oh wow. <laughs> yeah. Played at Tennessee Tech. And his mom, who is six feet tall, actually played at Purdue. And she holds a school record for the most rebounds in a single game for Purdue. At she got twenty-five rebounds in a single game in
1: 1981
0: so go mrs. Plumley. that's like super (laughs) impressive (laughs) yeah yeah so she yeah she recorded that in 1981 when Mason was a sophomore in high school his parents transferred him and Miles to a different school in um, a small boarding school in North Carolina called Christ School this move caused all kinds of drama in his hometown because the Basque, the town was very upset that the plumley brothers were leaving and the basketball the high school basketball coach actually went under came under a whole bunch of fire for letting the plumleys walk away the situation was that the Plum, the mason and miles were not getting playing time and their father wanted them to play more and the high school coach said that he was going to be playing his seniors. Um, and Mr. Uh, Perky Plumley didn't think that was good enough that he wanted them to develop more. And so he pulled them out and sent them to boarding school. Wow. It went so far as that there was a town hall meeting where the yeah. school board was there. And people came and they testified mostly in support of the coach saying that, you know, he was doing his job and they didn't want the coach to be fired or lose his job over this. But it was a very dramatic, like Hoosiers, like from the movie moment where the whole town uh, rose up and, you know, it became a big issue. And Perky Plumley talks about like being kind of ostracized in the town and, you know, people being so mad at them for sending the kids away.
1: It's his... It's his family. It's his... his
0: sons. Exactly. Exactly. Oh, I so... would have
1: torn that town hall up. I. Oh man. Well, Can I'm say...
0: sure there. You know, there's two sides to every story. But I. And and the. But you code... don't
1: tell a father what he does with his children.
0: Sure. Well, and the the coach did end up keeping his job, and that team actually went on to have success as well. So it was a happy ending for everybody. But. I thought it was really interesting to contrast how you know what happened with that family with like Myers Leonard who grew up also in a small town but who relied on that town for a lot of his own personal identity is like you know Robinson um Illinois was his town and that's where Myers Leonard came from and it's kind of different with Mason and there was you know it was more tension with his uh with his hometown kind of a different experience there for Mason. Sure. So Mason and Miles went off to Christ School to go to high school, and while at Christ School... Uh, Mason averaged 15 points per game, three assists. He got a little over 10 rebounds. He got 1.2 steals and he got two blocks. They won three state championships while they were there. So it was an instant success when the Plumleys went to Christchurch or Christchurch so School.
1: A good move. <laughs> right. <laughs>
0: um, and Mason was the 2009 McDonald's All American. He was a 2009 Jordan brand All American. And he played for the junior national team that played in the Nike Hoop Summit that, that year, he was also named North Carolina's Mr. Basketball in 2009. So these are all uh, awards that Mason got his senior year. Mason actually committed to Duke his junior year, and uh, Mason committed to Duke, Duke as a junior at the same time as Miles committed to Stanford as a senior. Do you know if they originally
1: wanted to play together? Well, the, originally...
0: Miles was going to go to Stanford, and that was going to be the end of their playing career together. But after Miles committed to Stanford, Stanford changed their coach. And so he decided that he wanted to reopen his recruitment. And he ultimately, after Miles, after he saw that Mason selected Duke, Miles ended up selecting Duke as well.
1: So um, maybe I should reword it. But did they like? So what was Mason's plan while Miles was like, "I'm going to go to Stanford." Was he just not really sure, or was he also going to go to Stanford and then changed his mind to Duke? Or no, no. Um, uh,
0: Mason's plan was Duke. Okay. Uh, that his plan was Duke, and Miles was going to go to Stanford, and that was going to be the end of the uh, Plumley brothers playing together. But as things happened. Uh, Miles actually ended up going to Duke. And so even though Mason committed first, Miles was the first one to actually go and play because he was older. Gotcha. So Mason's freshman year at Duke, they won the national championship. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But the, the, the Plumley brothers were uh, backup players. They did; they were not uh, starters on the team. That team had Nolan Smith on it. Andre Dawkins and Kyle Singler were all on that team. And the Plumley brothers were were bench players. In his four years at Duke, Mason shot 54% field goal. He averaged 7.7 7 rebounds. He really improved a ton over his four years at Duke. He was there for all four years. Originally, he had some thought that he was just going to be a one-and-done, but after his first year, he had a hard time getting off the bench. Second year, he got a little bit more time. Third year, he they decided that they wanted Miles to be able to have his time with the draft, and so Mason ended up staying all four years. But um, his first year, he played about 14 minutes a game, and he got 3.1 rebounds and 3.7 points by his fourth year he was playing 34 minutes he was getting 9.9 rebounds and 17 points so he improved a lot over the year and i think that's really important because i think mason still has room for growth it shows that he has a you know the ability to learn and improve a lot He was also, Mason Plumlee was on the team, the Duke team, that lost to C.J. McCollum's Lehigh team in the 2012 NCAA tournament. Ooh, I wonder if they talk about that. (laughs) Well, uh, uh, C.J. was like the star of that game. He scored 30 points. But what is lost is that Mason was 9 for 9 from the field that game. So Mason had a good game (laughs) that game, but they lost.
1: So in 2012, where, where those shots were, like, did he have good range or? I don't know. Okay. I don't know where those shots were all from. (laughs)
0: Um, So in 2012, all three Plumleys were at Duke. And that was just the third time that there have been, there was a division one school that had three brothers playing with them. So in 2013, Mason was selected by the Brooklyn Nets, number 22 pick. He I saw a video where he was talking about that summer and he actually worked out for 15 teams that summer. He worked out for teams one or sorry, through teams five through 20 and he didn't get picked by any of them. And so he was really confused. (laughs) And then he ended up getting picked by the Brooklyn Nets. So the same night that Mason was selected by the Nets, the Nets were part of a massive trade, which a lot of people are going to remember, that brought Kevin Garnett, Paul Pierce and Jason Terry for a bunch of draft picks. To Brooklyn, mm,
1: mm-hmm.
0: KG uh, Kevin Garnett took Mason Plumley under his wing. I did not know this, so Mason Plumley was KG's rookie, <laughs> which awesome. must have been crazy. Um, K, um, KG really did take Mason under his wing and was a mentor to him as well as somebody who like stole his crab cakes and made him one time act as the stewardess on the airline. He made him serve the whole. Um, <laughs> one time, the flight attendant, he like, KG had the flight attendant sit down and made Mason serve everybody on the plane.
1: That's awesome. <laughs> but
0: one of the things that KG said to Mason one time that really impressed him, KG said to him that you can either be a Duke success who happened to play in the NBA, or you can be an NBA success who, happens to play, who happened to play at Duke. So mm-hmm. I thought that was a really interesting point. And so that's something that Mason has carried with him a long time. Mason originally was actually drafted as a power forward, so he played alongside KG a lot as uh, when KG was center and Mason was coming off as a power forward. But then Brook Lopez got injured, and Mason got a chance to play center. So that was his his Nets career. In the two years with the Nets, he shot a 60% field goal, and he averaged about 5.4 rebounds per game. Um... He also made the All Rookie Team in
1: 2014.
0: Oh, so on, I didn't on know that, yeah. So on June 25th, 2015, Plumlee was traded to the Blazers, along with draft rights to Pat Connaughton for Steve Blake and Rondé Hollis Jefferson. So that was how Mason became a Blazer. You know, like I said, one of the things that really um, stuck with me as I was learning more about Mason is Mason was. For a long time, he was one of the Plumley brothers, and then he went to the Nets, and his job was to be a backup, and his job was to come in and do, like, really specific things, you know, backup Brooke Lopez, start while Brooke Lopez was out, you know, keep the ship afloat, but he was never really, he he, he never really was his own person. And that's one of the things that I think has really been exciting watching this year. And now that I know more about him, I realize he's really coming into his own. He's a ball handler. He's a guy who likes to create plays. And he's now being allowed to do that. And I think I think it's really exciting to watch that. I'm happy that um, he's in a system that is allowing him to do that. You know, before when he was at the Nets, he had all these veterans who were telling him what to do. And then he came here and, you know, there was Chris Kamen who I miss all the time, but <laughs> it was a different into...
1: situation. <laughs> is that an exaggeration?
0: Well, every time I hear Miley Cyrus, he came in, she came in, I came in like a wrecking ball. I think of Chris Kamen. <laughs> but anyway, the point being, you know, since, since he's come here, Mason has been Mason. He hasn't been under anybody's thumb. He hasn't been anybody's mentee. Mente- he's been who he is. And it's been, I think it's been cool to watch him develop.
1: Do you remember that one time that we talked about him? I think it was last season, and I said that I really enjoyed watching his creative passing, and it reminded me just his passing, not his game or him as a a person or player, but just his passing reminded me of Arvidas Sabonis, and people went nuts. And we had, like, (laughs) a million comments on the podcast to, like, she's so stupid, he's not anything like Arvidas, and I'm like, wow. But <laughs> that just, I think of that a lot when I think about how much Myers, I mean, Myers, wow, Mason has come into his own and, and is really contributing quite a bit to this team, and, and I really like his passing. I like that he brings the ball up sometimes. I like that he's had a chance to shine. It sounds like from what you've told us today that he's you're right he's lived this same storyline his whole life and now so that means that like the big bright moment is coming right the big mm-hmm. bright championship is on the horizon um, so to speak so well, I, th- I
0: think another thing that I've, well, two more, two more little things. One thing is I was watching his highlight reel from uh, when he was in high school and he had those behind the back dunks that he's been doing. He's been doing those since really? high school. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it's one of those things that like, you know, free Mason and let him be, you know, let him become who he is. Um, you know, so, so there's that. And then the other thing is that I've been trying to, you know, I was looking at Mason's statistics over the last couple of years because I know that I hear all the time people saying Portland needs a rim protecting center. Portland needs a rim protecting center. And I don't doubt that we need a rim protecting center, but I don't know that I really want to give up our creative playmaking center for a rim protecting center. And I maybe that's like super, you know, naive to say I think we need somebody who we can put in to protect the rim, you know, when that's necessary. But I don't know that I want to give up the creative play that Mason brings. And also, when I was looking at his numbers, like when you look at the number of attempts that people make against him and his ability to defend them and disrupt those those buckets, he has good numbers. I mean, he has a he's better than average um, when it comes to, you know, people's shooting percentage on him when he's in the paint. So I don't know. What do you think about that? Does, what do you think about Portland needing a rim protecting center? Do you think it's as big of a deal as
1: some people have been talking about? Maybe the answer to that is playing Ed Davis and Myers Leonard together. <laughs> no, no, I'm just kidding. Um, I get what you're saying, but I I can't help but go back to the same old, something has to change. Like, we are not going to win a championship the way that we are right now. I don't even think if you give us a couple of years to develop, right? Like, there is a missing piece to this team. If there wasn't a missing piece, then things would be different. You would see this season playing out a little bit differently. So it's not like I I necessarily want to give up Mason and what he does and how creative he is. But if that's kind of the missing piece, then are you going to say no to a championship to keep him? Like, I mean, I think you have to think of it that way. Well,
0: I guess, what I'm wondering is,
1: is, a,
0: is a rim-protecting center necessarily have to be a starting rim-protecting center? No. Or can or could we keep Mason and have him do what he does and still get, you know, plenty of playing time, but maybe have him be, you know, coming off the bench, and would that be acceptable? I mean, that's a whole another discussion for another podcast, is what do we do? Like, are there some guys who maybe should be coming off the bench, or in di- different situations would be coming off the bench?
1: I mean, can you imagine how good we would be if Mason was our backup? Like, yeah that like think of it that way Mm -hmm. I don't know but and you're right Mason's young and his moment is coming like he could he's getting consistently better and better and and maybe next year he's he plays differently or he's improved enough that that's no longer the issue that we no longer have a missing piece we don't know the theme of this podcast is there are a million. There are a million factors and we're completely making stuff up. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I'm afraid maybe we won't be able to
0: afford Mason next year either because, you know, he's on the last year. Like, he, he's going right. to be a free agent next year and we're going to have to, um, you know, get dive into the couch cushions and find some money or we're going to have to lose other people in order to be able to afford him. So... I would like to just see a little bit of stability, stability for the rest of the year (laughs) to prepare for whatever is going to happen next year, I guess.
1: Yeah, let's just get through this year and with a smile on our face and wear those rose colored glasses and just be happy about what we're what we've got, which is an entertaining, devoted to the city and to the fans basketball team with some great players and just call it a day. (laughs) <laughs> Sounds good. Rose color glasses
0: in the Rose City. Yes.
1: <laughs>
0: All right. Well, Joe, it's been a pleasure talking with you. Tomorrow night, our Blazers are back in action in an early game on uh, Martin Luther King Jr. Day. They're going to be playing in Washington, D.C. That should be a good game. So it's really tomorrow morning, it's at 11 a.m. Yes, that it, yeah yeah. So they this. I think this is going to be a really important road trip. It's going to really tell us a lot about whether or not we've made progress or if we've just had some some lucky games. And I am going to say, let's see. Where it's a four game road trip. You want to make some official predictions? <laughs>
1: yeah. Who, who are we playing? Remind me.
0: Okay. Washington first, and do we have the Hornets? We do have the Hornets. I'm not sure which order. Let me look up the order. Washington, and then the Hornets. And then the 76ers, and the 76ers is one of those games we have to be on top of. We need to focus to play that game.
1: Yeah, but we could beat them. and Well, and... of course we could. <laughs> That's the thing. we got to watch out for John Wall. He's good. So the Wizards will be tough. I think they'll give us a fight. Um, but I think we can come out of this road trip 3-1. and one. Okay, the last team we play is the Celtics. I was just I was just guessing. I didn't even know you're going to yeah. tell me the last one. 3 and 1. That's what I predict.
0: I'm going to go 2 and 2. I think we can do 2 and 2. I
1: think we're going to I think we're going to fight.
0: <laughs> I think we're going to have one really good win and one of those no kind of losses.
1: That's my guess. <laughs> okay.
0: <laughs> All right, Joe. Well, until you have you have safe travels and we will keep in touch and until next time. Oh, wait, I can't say that. We'll be thinking about
1: you in Rip City. And I will try to call in from time to time. I think that would be fun. So
0: we'll see Sounds how good. we'll see if that
1: works. <laughs> <laughs>
0: All right. And go blazers.